Good morning, everyone. <laughs> I'm excited to have everyone here. I actually wasn't uh, planning on teaching the Easter message, but God had other things in mind. Um, yeah, my, my daughter is two months old now, and this is her, her first Easter. Uh, my wife's in the back uh, feeding her right now. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, early in the morning, about 2, 3 o'clock, uh, she decided she, she and I need to have a conversation. So um, I went in there, changed her, fed her, wasn't thinking of anything really at all, just kind of just zombie-like, you know, just standing there holding my daughter. And I had a message that I thought was going to be kind of like, you know, a runner-up or, or a lead-up to Easter. I thought it was a good message. And God's like, no, I don't want you to do that. Um, I, want you to, I want you to tell them the story of us. And it's not, not the story of, of God and me. Um, that's a good story. That's a lot of laughs. But, um, no, it's, it's, it's our story, mankind and God. Um, so, yeah, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about, about the story of us. And where uh, better to start than at the beginning, you know? See, at the beginning... The lamb was slain. I know that's not the start you were expecting for this story, um, but actually we see at the end of Scripture in Revelations, it, it says that at the beginning of creation, at the moment of creation, Christ was slain. Now, in the beginning, there was nothing, and then God created everything. But he, he loved man especially. He loved us first because he created us in his image. Now, he walked with, with Adam in, in the garden because he desired relationship with us. That was his whole heart was relationship with us. And God saw that it wasn't good for, for Adam to be alone, so what he did, he took a rib and he created Eve. And he gave them an, an incredible gift. He, he wanted to give them uh, the choice to love him in return. So what he did he, is he gave them free will. He said, all the fruit in the garden is yours to eat, save for the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eventually, the enemy comes along. And doing his normal routine, he, he loves to kill steal and destroy. So he comes along and he, he tempts Adam and Eve. And Adam failed to protect the woman he was in charge of, the woman that he was supposed to cover, to, to lead, by not rebuking the lies that the enemy had been saying against God. And eventually, Adam and Eve both eat of the, the fruit and boom, the relationship between God and man changes. What once was pure became corrupted. What once was uh, just this, this um, lovely thing, that this innocent was, was tarnished. So what God did, he took an animal, killed it, used its bloody skin to cover Adam and Eve, and they were sent out from the garden, never to return. But God always intended the lamb to be slain. Now, Adam and Eve, they have children, their children have children, and they populate the whole earth. And as, as man spread out, so did that, that darkness, that sin in him, 
spread with him. And they got to a point where, where it was so bad that God was ready to wipe them off the face of the earth. No one recognized the, the blood sacrifices that Adam taught his kids, the, the sacrifices that were meant to cover the sin of man until the lamb could come to be slain. Everyone ignored them except Noah. No one in his family honored God. And because of that, he decided to spare Noah and his family. He spared them by telling them to build an ark, an ark that would save him, his family, the animals, and the future mankind from the flood that he was sending to destroy the earth. Humanity got a second chance with Noah because the ark preserved his family the way that the lamb would preserve all of mankind. Eventually, Noah's sons and daughters populated the earth, and we're, we're, uh, we're full again, essentially. Now, uh, Noah taught his sons the proper way to, to sacrifice, that, that blood offering, he, the, the way to set apart uh, the, the, the perfect offering, to set apart that from the flock, the one that was free from sickness, free from disease. And God did the same thing. He, he set apart Abram because Abram was a righteous man. He set him apart the way that you set up that perfect sacrifice because he intended the lamb to be slain. And God made a covenant with Abram. And he actually changed his name to Abraham, which means father of multitude. And that, that uh, covenant was fulfilled through his son Isaac and then his son uh, Jacob, and then his son, Joseph. I had a brain fart there. The names, the, the, I get mixed up with the names sometimes. But eventually, Abraham and his family became God's chosen people. And they, they grew into the millions, and they became Hebrews. Now, the, the enemy hates the things that God loves. So he, uh, he had it in for the Israelites. And the Hebrews eventually, they, they came under the uh, rule of Pharaoh, and they were enslaved. And they, they, their numbers were so great that they eventually became a threat to Pharaoh. And he wanted to kill the firstborn males in each family of the Jewish people. But God intended the lamb to be slain. And so he set apart, he set apart Moses. He rescued him by having him put in the river in a basket to be found by Pharaoh's own daughter, and he was brought into their household, and he was raised as one of them. Eventually, Moses grows up and was called by God to save his people. And through signs and wonder, God uses Moses to show uh, his power, his anger against anyone who would dare hurt his people. And Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt and into the wilderness where God makes a covenant with them. He gives them ten commandments to that will show them what a perfect life looks like. He sets the standard. This, this is what perfection looks like. And he also shows them uh, what the offerings they need to do to, to help cover their sins when they, when they mess up and they fall short of that perfection. And I don't know if you know the story well, but that happened a lot. So, and God promised the Israelites uh, a land that would be theirs, a promised land that was 
a land of milk and honey, a land where they could go and they could thrive as his chosen people. And so Joshua is raised up amongst the, uh, the Israelites, becomes a leader, and he leads them into the promised land. But the promised land is occupied by many strong enemies. Uh, they came upon uh, cities like Jericho, whose walls were so tall, so, so thick and powerful that no enemy could overcome them. And they were, they were afraid. So they sent in 12 spies into the city to check out the city's defenses. And the 12 spies were actually helped by a prostitute named Rahab. Because Rahab recognized that the God of the Israelites was the one true God. She was spared. God spared her because God wanted to use her because he always intended the lamb to be slain. The Israelites over, overcame all the enemies in the, in the promised land. But the enemy continued to use the neighboring countries around them to harass them for, for years and years. So God raised up judges amongst the people to help lead them against their enemies. Some were great warriors like Samson, who, who was able to fight off a thousand men with just a jawbone of a donkey. But some were just pretty insignificant, to be honest with you. Not just, not insignificant. You wouldn't expect these guys to be, to be leaders, like Gideon, you know. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't really counted amongst the wise. But because of his faithfulness to God's commands, he was able to overcome the enemy despite the odds stacked against them. God even raised up prophets, prophets like Samuel, who foretold of a Messiah that would come, and he would, he would one day come and destroy all the enemies of God. But the, but the people eventually, they, they got tired. They got tired of being led by judges. They wanted to be led by kings like the countries around them were. So Samuel prays to God, and Saul is anointed and chosen as the first king of Israel. And Israel grows strong and powerful under Saul's rule. But Saul, Saul is overshadowed by a young shepherd boy named David who slew a giant and became a mighty warrior. And David succeeded Paul as king. He became a king, a warrior, a poet, a man after God's own heart. He was one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. And he was succeeded by his son Solomon who didn't ask for powerful armies, more land, uh, more power to, to rule the people of Israel. No, he asked for wisdom, wisdom to rule the people well. And this pleased God, pleased him so much that he gave him wisdom and everything else that he didn't ask for. And Israel thrived under Solomon till the end of his reign. And just like the prophet Ahijah prophesied, at Solomon's death, Israel was split into two kingdoms, Judah and Israel. The kingdom of Israel turned its back on God quite often. And they turned to God's like Baal. And even through the ministry of some great prophets like Elijah and Amos, they eventually fell to the Assyrians. Now Judah, on the other hand, they... they followed God's commands for the most part. They weren't perfect. They, they messed up too. And they eventually fell to the Babylonians. Now, despite troubled times, the Lord continued to speak hope into his people through the prophets like 
Zechariah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, Isaiah, Micah, all these prophets foretold of a Messiah who would come and eventually destroy the enemies of God. And then silence. For about 400 years, the people heard nothing from God. But God always intended the lamb to be slain. The Jewish people went from under one ruler to another, and eventually they came under the rule of the great Roman Empire. And they were crying out for a Messiah to come and to destroy their enemies and return them to glory. And then one day, an angel comes to a a young girl named Mary. Mary is told that the child that the Lord has miraculously blessed her with would be the Messiah, the Son of God, and his name would be Jesus. And he was raised as a carpenter's son, a very simple life, but even at a a very young age, uh, the religious leaders saw that he was pretty smart, pretty wise. And when he grew up into a man, he uh, was baptized by his cousin, John, John the Baptist, who was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And John saw Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Now Jesus... um, Jesus started his ministry after that. He started to collect a group of men, 12 disciples. And he began to, to teach. And uh, he performed a lot of miracles. Healing the sick, raising the dead, calming storms, walking on water, feeding thousands with just one man's meal, making the blind to see but he actually really ruffled feathers whenever he forgave people of their sins. The Jewish people, the, the, the leaders, the religious leaders specifically, uh, wondered who in the world this guy thought he was. And when he told them, that made them even more upset. Uh, because how could, how could this be? The only way a man could be holy in the sight of God was to follow the Ten Commandments. And, and this Christ fellow is saying that they're not doing that. They, they took steps to, to even put even more requirements around the law so they would come nowhere near breaking them. And yet he's saying they were falling short. They were the best of the best. How could that be? But what they failed to realize and what Jesus was trying to explain to them, that there's no way to live up to the standard of the law because the law required perfection. Now, God intended the lamb to be slain, and the only way for salvation would be through him. So for three years, Jesus went about teaching and performing miracles. And as his time drew near, the, the, the very purpose he was sent here for, he went to Jerusalem for Passover. And as he entered the city, the people were cheering for him waving palm branches and throwing their garments on the ground so he could ride over it on a donkey. It was quite the entrance for the Messiah who was going to come and rescue them from their captors. Now Jesus gathered his disciples for one last meal together. And he he wanted to, 
explain to them or try to prepare them for what was about to come. And he took Peter, James, and John with him into the garden to pray. And, and the weight of what was, what was coming weighed heavy on him. And he asked the Father, please let this cup pass from me if, if there's not another way. But soon the temple guards came. They came for Jesus because God intended the lamb to be slain. And the Pharisees made a deal with the Romans, and they took Jesus. They beat him. They humiliated him. They whipped him. He was brought before Pilate, who was a Roman governor. And Pilate saw, saw no wrong with Jesus. He thought he was an innocent guy, but because the religious leaders had riled up the people so much, they wanted blood he gave them over to him to be crucified. Now, many of these, these people that were crying out for Christ's blood were the very people that days earlier were rejoicing that he had come to rescue them from their captors. He was crucified outside of the city on the point of a mountain called Golgotha. He was nailed to the cross, a crown of thorns on his head, and a sign above him saying, Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. His mother and one of his best friends stood in utter devastation, watching all that was happening right before them, trying to make sense of it all. How could this be happening to him, the Messiah, the one who was, who was meant to save us? He deserves us the least. Jesus was crucified between two criminals. One of them was mocking Jesus just like the crowd was. And the other one recognized Jesus for who he was. He told the other criminal, Jesus didn't deserve this. He doesn't deserve death, but we do. And he looked at Jesus and said, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. It wasn't a fancy prayer. It was just recognition that he, he deserved death for what he'd done. He'd fallen short of the perfection that the law required. And his only hope, his only hope was the Messiah being crucified next to him. This is actually the first record uh, of a convert in Scripture. Now, Christ, Christ did something truly awesome on that cross. He reached back all the way back to Adam, and he took all the sin ever committed, and he reached forward in time to us and past us, all the sin we have committed and have yet to commit. He took our children's sin and the sins of everyone who is yet to come all the way to the end of time. He took their sins unto himself. Christ knew he had taken all the sin unto himself when he couldn't feel the presence of his Father anymore. The thing that he had had with him every single day of his life. He felt, he felt alone. He felt vulnerable. He felt forsaken. He realized he'd done his job as the sacrifice. And he said, it is finished. 
and he gave his life on that cross. The lamb had been slain. But he wasn't done yet. He realized that he had to do something else. Other, others thought that that was it. He's, he's gone. That's all there is. But Christ knew in order to fulfill the law, he had to come back. One day passed. Two days. Nothing. On the third day, he came back. From death to life, Christ did something almost too indescribable to, to even explain. He offered us a new covenant with God. A new covenant that, that restored the relationship between God and man back to what it was always meant to be. He paid for it with his very blood. It was hard to comprehend what, what Christ did for all mankind. And it was especially hard for his disciples to understand it at first. But eventually he revealed himself to them and he spent some time with them, letting them soak in what he had done for them. And he left them with some instruction. He's told them, he told them that he was going away, but he was going to be coming back and that he was, he was going to leave them uh, a Holy Spirit and he would be there to uh, help them as they go about their lives, helping reach the lost. And as they went about their lives, they should share this, this good news of this, this new covenant with everyone in their lives. And the Spirit would lead them where they should go, and he would move in power to grow his church and to save the lost. And after Jesus ascended into heaven, days later the Spirit came and fell upon the disciples and moved in power. They began speaking in tongues. They healed the sick. They raised the dead. Things that Christ did while he was on earth, things that Christ promised them that they would do and more. And the church of Christ was born, and it spread like a wildfire. Now, the enemy ever since has tried to, to stop, to destroy, to slow the advance of the church. We're waging war to this day. But our enemy isn't, isn't flesh and blood. It's not a country. It's not a people. It is, it is the devil and his demons who are trying to distract us from Christ's final commission. story is still going on. So the question is, what are you doing? What is your part in this story? Maybe some of you this, this morning have never heard the story before. Maybe some of you have heard the story, but you never really understood what the new covenant, this, this new promise from God is. Like I said before, it's not a, a magical uh, prayer or a phrase that you say and you get a, a get out of jail or get out of hell free card. It's realizing you aren't perfect. And the perfection required by the law is something that you cannot attain. But you don't have to because Christ paid that price for you. All you have to do is trust in Jesus. That means that offering your life, your entire life to him, submitting to him, and you're still not going get to get it right. No one does. But the more time you spend 
with the one who first loved us. My Jesus, the more you're going to see yourself as the character that he always intended you to be in your story, in his story. Maybe you, some of you this, this morning uh, have given your life to Christ. Maybe, maybe, the, uh, maybe you've just forgotten the character you're meant to be. It's, it's easy to be distracted or uh, to believe lies that the enemy wants to, to tell you that that's not who you are. You may have distanced yourself from the church because someone in the church, maybe, maybe even a leader, hurt you. We're not perfect. No one is. But we are meant to walk through this story together as brothers and sisters. Maybe it's time this, this morning to get some healing for some old hurts. Maybe it's time for us to get back to playing the part in the story we were always meant to play. I've been preaching for 30-something years, so I've probably preached at least 30 Easter messages. And I think that's one of the best Easter messages I've ever heard. Amen? Dave, thank you. Thank you for being obedient and hearing the Lord and telling us the story again. Um, I was sitting there as he was telling the story about the criminal on the cross. And I don't know why, but it gets me every single time because that's me. Um, That's how I saw myself when I gave my life to Jesus. And I love that he said his prayer was not that good. Because <laughs> when I prayed, my prayer was not that good either. I remember I was 19, 20 years old, and my prayer was, Lord, I've tried everything else. I may as well give you a shot. Now, how's that for an awesome, you know, theological <laughs> prayer? It was horrible. <laughs> horrible. But I love that, that God heard that. He heard that prayer. And, and it wasn't so much the words. So often we've made the words magic that if you Pray this prayer, Jesus will save you. And, you know, if we're not careful, we forget the story and we just become religious. And that's not good for any of us, especially as church leaders. Like he said, that's how we end up hurting people, is we just become religious. And we forget the story that we're a part of. And we forget what Jesus did for us. So it makes it easy to forgive brothers and sisters when we remember how much we have been forgiven. And so this morning, before we leave... um, we would be remiss if we didn't offer you an opportunity to just respond to the story. Um, that's the mission that we're all on as believers, is to preach the good news, to share the good news. And, G- and you know, David did such a phenomenal job this morning of, of saying that. And I love how it starts with, in the beginning, the lamb was slain. God's intention was he knew we were broken. He knew what we would do. And every single one of us, have done that. We've committed those sins. Want, want either, <laughs> either the same sins we see in Scripture or maybe we even tried to make up some new ones. It gets really bad sometimes. But I do know this, that God in His kindness and His love and His mercy for us has put you in this room on this day to hear that message. So it's not an accident. And so I would just ask, maybe take a second and decide which criminal you are next to Jesus. Because we're, we're going to be one or the other. We're going to be the one who joins the crowds in mocking Jesus and not seeing him accurately, not believing the story, 
not believing his miracles, his signs, his wonders, not believing even in the resurrection, and choosing to do it our own way and even dying in our sin. Or we can choose to be the other criminal on the cross who very interestingly never went to a Bible study, never attended a service, never gave any tithes and offerings, never gave any money, never witnessed to anybody outside of, you know, all of us for all of time. Because <laughs> we tell the story. Jesus said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And what a horrible prayer he prayed, right, to be saved. <laughs> but Jesus recognized it was his heart, and the response was real, and it was true. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that as well. It's not fancy. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. Um, I'm not going to try to do that. I'm not going to grandstand. We, we don't care about drama. We don't care about any of those things. We just care about the connection that you have with your Father. Now, at some point, Jesus says, I want you to follow me into baptism. And when you give your life to Jesus, part of that is making that public. There's no such thing as private faith. That's a lie. There's no such thing. Your faith is supposed to be public. That's what baptism is for. Literally what it's designed for is to make a declaration of the whole world that you went down in death with Jesus and you came up with him in resurrection and being born again. And so this morning, if you'll just bow your heads with me all across this room, even if you're a believer, I just want to ask you a simple question. Would you like this morning to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Would you like to respond to him the way the criminal on the cross? Simple little prayer, simple little response that says, I know what I've done. And Dave did a great job of explaining it. I've sinned. I've messed up. I've fallen short of the glory of God. But you, Jesus, are now dying on a cross for sins you didn't commit, which means you're dying. You died for the sins that I committed. And so if that's you this morning, you're saying, you know what? Lord, I recognize that you did that for me, that you died on my behalf. That what I couldn't pay, the debt I couldn't pay, you paid in full. If that's you and you'd like, maybe for the first time, to give your life to Jesus this morning, because that's what that means, would you just raise your hand? We just want to pray for you. If that's you this morning, or even online, if you're watching, it's you in your living room, would you just acknowledge that? Just lift your hand and say, that's me. I'm the criminal on the cross. And I'd like to give my life to Jesus this morning. Just give it a minute. Amen. Now I want to say to us as believers, those of you guys, you are part of the story, and I love what Dave said. We were meant to do this together. And so I know the church isn't perfect. Um, I've been a part of it for a really long time. (laughs) I've been the imperfection, and I've been the receptor of the imperfection in 30-something years. So I know it's tough sometimes. But I know families like that, and God calls us to live in family. So if you don't have a home church, some of you guys are new this morning, so glad you're here. If you don't have a home church, we would encourage you, whether it's DCF or another church in our city, life-giving church, that you plug in somewhere and be a part of a family. Be a part of a community that can be there for you and that you also could be there for him. That we all together could be Jesus in this world and continue the mission and continue the call that he's given us as believers. Amen? So why don't you stand with me? If you don't have a church like that, we would love to have you here at DCF and love on you well and have you love on us and make that connection. We'd love to see that happen. But I want to give an opportunity as we close. If you do need prayer for anything, um, salvation, if you decide and you want to come up and talk to me about that, that's great. 
If you just need prayer of encouragement, or if you have a broken body or sickness, we'd love to pray for healing. We believe Jesus still heals today. Uh, as David said, through his disciples, he still does that. And so we're going to have our team come across the front here as we close this morning on Easter Sunday. Just to give you an opportunity to receive prayer, just for whatever you might need this morning. But as we close, um, as some are leaving and headed that direction, go grab Easter, Easter lunch. Would you maybe make your way forward and receive prayer and let the Lord just minister to you on, on this the resurrection day. Amen. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you and we honor you. Lord, thank you for including us in this great big story. Lord, thank you that this is the story of all of us. And Lord, thanks for that message this morning. It was such a beautiful, beautiful picture of our history, Lord, our, our story through all of time, and not just what it's been, Lord, but what it's going to be. And Lord, um, we love that you win. <laughs> Lord, we know there's challenges here, but it's not, even, it's not even close. Lord, you win. And Lord, you win through us. You win through believers who put their trust and their faith in you and are beginning to live that out and living Jesus in this world. Lord, being Jesus to people who don't yet know him. And so, Lord, we just say thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in us. Thank you for what you're doing through us, Lord. And this morning as we go, Lord, thank you that your blessing and your favor and your kindness and your goodness are always upon us because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. In your name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week.